Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest. But first, I just wanted to give you a quick update. At the time of this recording of this episode, we are rolling into marathon season. We are actually physically and literally running. Uh, We have just finished the Berlin Marathon, the London Marathon, the Twin Cities Marathon, and the Chicago Marathon, just to name a few of our events across the country. And we are on our way to New York City for the running of the New York City Marathon. We've also had gyms and group fitness teams hosting our push-pull event and all sorts of other fundraisers. And I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who is helping to spread awareness, raise funds, and help us fight for a world without pancreatic cancer. If you'd like to see how you can get involved, visit projectpurple.org and follow Project Purple on all social media outlets. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest today. I've got with us coming all the way, not well, yeah, it is kind of all the way. We're in Connecticut from sunny, cool New Orleans, pancreatic cancer survivor, Sandy Hamilton. Welcome to the Project Purple Podcast. Thank you, Dino. I'm happy to be here with you today. Well, it, it, as as the people who are going to watch this on our YouTube channel can see it's a beautiful day. I know you said it's a little cool, but we're as we record this, the whole country is in this massive, like I guess, frigid spell here. The first of the year or second of the year, I don't know. I can't keep track, but it is chilly. It was chilly this morning in Connecticut, and I know you said it's a little cool down in New Orleans, but that's not going to last long. So, thank you for taking the time to join us. I know we were playing kind of connect the dots before I hit record here, and just learning a little bit about your story, um, where you are and where you've come from. Um, As I said before we hit record, our first segment here on the podcast is always our guest opportunity to kind of share with our audience your journey with pancreatic cancer. And as I said, you can go as far back as you want. You can stay as high level as you want. I will be jumping in from time to time with some questions. Um, I am taking notes. And with that, the microphone is yours, Sandy, to share your journey with pancreatic cancer. Okay, so um, in in 2019, a small something was found in an area that it was too small to biopsy. Um, They thought that it was in my lungs. My doctor told me to have another CAT scan the following year, 2020. Of course, there were no CAT scans. There were no doctor visits, whatever. So um, February, March, 2021, my doctor said, oh, hey, about that CAT scan, you need to get it done. All right. So I went I got the CAT scan. She sends back that there's, uh, we needed a deeper look in my lungs. So I go and um, I get another one, a more enhanced one. Um, My daughter's now fiance actually had a connection with his brother and got me in a few days later. I was, because of my health insurance, I was very, very, very blessed to be able to make my own decisions. I have a PPA. PPA? PPO. PPO. I have PPO. So I really didn't have to wait around for referrals and stuff. So I just kicked the ball and got got it going. Um, Got me in, turned out it wasn't in my lungs. They saw something in my pancreas. So then I had to get another one. 
So believe it or not, there's a, a maximum amount of iodine you can have in a month. I exceeded that in, I think, five days. <laughs> in five days, they were like, okay, you're not allowed any more CAT scans, you're done. But in the course of that, they discovered that I had a neuroendocrine tumor on my pancreatic tail. Um, I had to find a doctor to do a biopsy. I found a doctor uh, that was recommended to me. Um, it was the most surreal experience I've ever had. Cancer is not something that runs in my family. Um, it was never in my wheelhouse. Um, my son has celiac disease. I have eczema. Like cancer just was never heart conditions, whatever, but never cancer. I went in for my biopsy. Of course, I had to do everything alone. I couldn't have my family with me through any of it because it was 2021. Um, my husband had to drop me off at the hospital. I had to walk in and literally just face everything myself. It was um, eye-opening. It uh, helped me realize the power, the strength that I have within me. And my faith was exemplified through the whole experience. I have a, a very strong faith. And... Um, so when I was alone, I actually had God with me through the whole thing. Um, it turned out uh, when I went in for this biopsy with this doctor I've never met before, um, the, his nurse, his main nurse, was my daughter's friend from preschool. Um, we had known this young lady since she was two, and this was last year, so she was 20, I just turned 29. Um and that was such a blessing because my daughter was freaking out because mom was going through all this crap by herself. And here I had her there. Kimberly was with me in the room. She was through my whole surgery with me and she knows me very well. So God just really worked it out and kind of eased my family's mind through that. A week later, well, mind you, the next day, I hopped in my car with my son and we drove to Shenandoah Valley National Park from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Because when I need to deal with stuff, I like to, to run. I like to not run physically, but get away. <laughs> I travel. I'm like, oh my God, where can I go? I have to leave right now. <laughs> my cousin-in-law in Illinois, she goes, who has exploratory surgery and then gets in their car and drives like a thousand miles? That would be me. Um, I spent the weekend with my cousin who is a thyroid cancer survivor, hoping I would get the call while I was with her. Hmm. I did not. I came back, I went to work and exactly seven days after my uh, biopsy, the surgeon called me to tell me you have cancer. I was sitting at work. I worked for a main grocery chain. I was blindsided and, um, so then he's like, okay, these are the places that I recommend. This is a very specialized field. Not just anybody can do it. I recommend, you know, the University of Miami, Memorial, Cleveland, and good luck. And it was just like the weight of that. We have a helicopter flying over. <laughs> the joys of being outside. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. We've had worse, believe me. We've we've done live uh we've done recordings in New York City and I think we had an ambulance <laughs> flying by us like every 10 minutes. So, it's all good. Um, so yeah, so then I had I I called my daughter actually. She was my first phone call. And I said, "Well, we have to find a doctor." And she got on it and I got on it and 
Um, and she's a graduate of the University of Miami, and we have a lot of family that have had medical care through UM. Um, so I, that was my number one choice. And then I, I get a phone call, which doctor do you want? Literally, I, it's like I was thrown in the deep end. I didn't know how to swim raging rivers, whatever you like, I did not, this was not in my wheelhouse. I did not know what I was doing. I literally just prayed my way through it and said, I hope to God I'm, I'm making the right choices for myself. Um, because I have the PPO, I was able to move the ball very quickly, but it took a lot of, um, I had to really fight for myself. And I realized that people that don't have that, that fight or that drive, um, if they're not getting the right guidance, uh, it can be very bad. Um, I have a very strong will to live. And so I made things happen. Um, random crap. Like I picked my surgeon because he graduated med school the year I graduated high school. <laughs> like, it was just, just, you know, you're, you're just, you don't even know what to do when you get that phone call. And I met, I went, he made me go to an oncologist and so found me one locally before I could even meet with the surgeon. And she was the first person to tell me that you have pancreatic cancer. And I was on my lunch break. I went by myself. I thought, oh, I've got this, right? I'm tough. I'm, I'm whatever. It's not like anybody can go in with me anyway. So what difference does it make? I got lost going to the appointment, which was 10 minutes from my job. <laughs> And I, I had to sit there and listen to her tell me that I had pancreatic cancer and you could have knocked me over with a feather. Um, I just didn't even know what to do with myself. And then I had to drive myself back to work. Um, it, it was just hearing those words, being told that knowing what you know about pancreatic cancer is undetectable. You don't usually find out until it's too late. As people die left and right from this. It's, it's, what the third leading killer of cancer in, in, in people right now moving up above breast cancer. Like it is, it is deadly. It is horrible. And to hear that and you're alone, it sucks. And, um, then I had to, I had to pardon the language, but I had to get my shit together and figure out what I was going to do. Um, so Sandy, so I, did you decide to say, and that's fine. Language is fine. Uh, the, the, mm -hmm. That's fine. <laughs> Did you decide to stay in Florida though? Like how did, you, I, did. I know you, okay. So you decided to, to get treatment there in Florida yes. and what was the reasoning behind that, that decision? Was it because of family or just? No, no, because family doesn't put me in any one place. I have family literally all over the country. Um, no, because I have university of Miami is very big on, mm -hmm. um, their trials, their exploration in, in medicine. My husband has an aunt who is a breast cancer survivor because um, she was put on trials. She got it twice. Like she should not be here. She just turned 83, I think. Um, so I, I, we have a cousin, my husband's cousin um, is a, an organ transplant uh, patient. He's had kidney transplant through the University of Miami. So I had a lot of faith in, in their level of expertise in the area. So I, I just, I just went with that. Um, a lot of prayer, 
and a lot of faith. And I, I just really trusted the, the process. Um, one of uh, our, my daughters and my very dear friends is a prostate cancer survivor. And he credits the University of Miami with saving his life. He had stage four prostate cancer um, 10, years, 10 years ago, 20, uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. And he's still here today. And so he, and immediately I consulted with him and we talked and, you know, I just really felt this was the best choice for me. So I stayed and I found a really good surgeon. And um, I had a lot of plans for last year. A young man that um, he is, we did Taekwondo with him since my daughter was nine. Um, he was getting married and they were getting married in my backyard at the end of July. And we're, I had my, my biopsy and diagnosis and everything in April. And I sat down and I told them that um, this doesn't change anything. Um, you know, we're going on faith and we're going on, I need fun things, good things to focus on. Um, I met with my surgeon in May and um, he said, okay, so let's do this. How about in two weeks? And I said, well, in, in uh, eight weeks, six weeks, in eight weeks, I'm going on a road trip with my son and we're trying to get to Alaska. And that's my dream state. That would be my 49th state. And I told my surgeon, I'd like to wait until after that. Well, you can imagine telling a pancreatic cancer surgeon and his full team that are in the room with me, then I'm alone. My husband's on my phone. Um, he's like, what? <laughs> he goes, um, <laughs> you know, you can fly there. And I said, yeah, but that's, this is kind of my thing. And <laughs> he was just dumbfounded. He really didn't know what to do with me at that point. And so finally we made an agreement. He said, if you get a PET scan and the only cancer you have is this pancreatic tumor, I will let you go on this trip with your son. I said, he said, and then you will have a CAT scan when you come back and we will, you know, we will operate immediately. And I said, you know, there's no guarantee of, because of the location of my tumor, it was on my pancreatic tail. Mm. So it's very close to the spleen. There was a possibility he might have to remove my spleen. There was a possibility, you know, like, you don't know. He said, my tumor, I couldn't go under chemo. I couldn't go under radiation. My tumor, those things would not work. He said, I have to go in and cut it out. And don't know how much we're going to cut out. My tumor was 2.1 centimeters at that time. Um, he said, you know, so, so the, the questions about what was going to happen after, at that point, I already knew what I had. I already knew that the only way we can get rid of it is you're going to cut me open and take it out. And we don't know what that's going to entail. So I wanted to do the one thing that I had promised my son, who last year was 15. I had made this promise to him and I didn't know what the future was going to look like, but I knew what last summer was supposed to look like. Hmm. So I had that PET scan and I, that was the only cancer I had. And then my oncologist and my surgeon agreed that I could go on that trip. So we did, we, we weren't allowed to drive to Alaska because COVID Canada wouldn't let me in. Yeah. 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 That's (laughs) right. So um, we drove to Seattle, well, to Spokane, and then flew. And um, we were only there for four days. Um, 
I saw, I drove over 700 miles. I borrowed my cousin's car. My cousin-in-law lives in Fairbanks. Uh, borrowed their car, drove to Denali. I mean, I just made it the trip that I needed it to be for me. It wow. was my, I'm doing this. I did it for me, you know? So I got to jump in here really quick. You get this life-altering news. And you decide to go on a trip. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Hindsight's 2020. Uh-huh. And so this might be, you know, in retrospect, as they say. Mm-hmm. Did you think about so you're going on this trip to Alaska? Like during that time, did you think at all about like the reality of what was waiting for you back home? I had moments where I would forget that I had cancer. I had moments where I would just live in the moment. And then there were moments when I would, my daughter came home one day before my trip and found me in my pool. I worked full time all the way up until I left. Hmm. Found me in my swimming pool. I have some chickens. I was feeding grapes to the chickens and I was crying. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm just having a private moment. Like, I, I didn't allow it to consume every minute. I didn't allow it to consume all my thoughts. But I would have moments of, ah, oh, shit, like, what's next? Am I going to survive surgery? Mm -hmm. Am I, like, what's, what's after surgery going to look like? Because I, of course, with the internet, you have access to so much information, way too much. Yeah, it's information you know, overload. Yeah, absolutely. Even my surgeon's like, oh, can you please stay off the internet? Yeah. You know, but I wanted best case scenario and I wanted worst case scenario. I have to know what I'm dealing with. I have to know, you know, what's what. I needed that for my own peace of mind. And then I would have moments where I would just live in the moment. When I got off the plane in Alaska at 1130 at night with my son and the air was so clean and crisp mm. and fresh and I was living my dream. I was in my 49th state and I was doing something that I had wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, that to me, oh, that trumped everything. Um, and I just kind of tried to live in that. There were moments when we're driving and I was just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> and I have pancreatic cancer. I mean, maybe a wiser person might be, you know, going under the knife right away. But I also knew that that could be life changing. So that's pretty special. I have another question. So, and this goes back to original. So the background, you had this CT, they saw something in your lungs, then it became the, the mass in your pancreas. Right. But from a symptom standpoint, and this kind of ties into this, this is going to tie into this, this last question. Did you have pain, nausea, weight loss? Like what were your signs and symptoms? Okay, so I'm probably the only person that's ever had pancreatic cancer that did not lose weight. <laughs> I kept waiting for that to happen. I wanted it to happen. It, I lost 20 pounds after my surgery, literally, and I was barely eating. Um, I don't know 
like whatever my reasons are, that was unfortunately not a symptom. I did, however, have other symptoms that I was relating to menopause because I am now 52. I was 51. The symptoms probably started when I was in my 50s. I went from having a few months of starting hot flashes. Mm -hmm. And then I all of a sudden in uh, probably six months before I was diagnosed, I started having what are called cold flashes. Mm -hmm. I would get, and I live in South Florida, I would get extreme cold flashes. I, my family, my son actually thought I was faking it. I would be bundled up in the house with a hoodie and blanket and my teeth chattering and I couldn't get warm. So I thought maybe this was just like the opposite of a hot flash. For some reason, I was getting cold flashes. Um, everything was easy for me to blow off. Um, I would have um, maybe maybe bowel movements that were um, very loose. Um, but it wasn't, nothing was consistent enough to actually warrant calling a doctor about. Um, if I went in the pool for too long in July, my body temperature would drop very quickly and it, I had a hard time getting it, getting it up again. Hmm. I now know that the pancreas controls our, our body temperatures. It can, controls the hormone levels. It, it has a, a big play in that. And so that for me, that was part of my pancreatic cancer. It was not uh, letting me get warm. It wasn't uh, controlling my body temperature properly. I still have some of that. I, when I get cold, I do have a harder time getting warm. Sometimes I'll have to go take a warm shower to bring my body temperature mm. back up. Um, not as extreme as before he took the cancer out though. Um, it was very extreme. I had, I had some other minor issues, but um, again, everything, it was so, the symptoms are so similar to other things that could be wrong. My son has celiac disease. Mm -hmm. um, he got it from me. They think that's where my pancreatic cancer came from, is that that's how my body manifested the, the, pan, the celiac. Um, I, you know, just, it was, it's just easier to blow things off because your symptoms are so, they're so hidden. They're not, it's not like a lump in the breast that you can feel or, you know? Yeah, I think it's like it, it it it's the biggest frustration of this disease, right? Is this sign and symptoms and, you know, okay, so weight loss, you know, abdominal pain, you know, you you mentioned bowel movements like you could have like just the wrong food now, right? Cuz there's so many dietary Yes. issues and sensitivities, I guess I would use yes. the word, right, to foods now because of whether they're modified, organic, whatever the stuff they put in it, yes. right? So that, that you know, is, is such a vague one. But to what you said originally, though, the menopause thing is fascinating. And I've got to be honest with you, Sandy, when you mentioned the cold flashes, like we've had in that, so this is the first time I've ever heard that, which is really fascinating. But when we've had people on that have been like chemo, like they've gone through the chemo experience, they will experience that cold flash, right? Like they can't, they can't get warm or everything they touch. If they touch like, you know, cold drinks, it becomes an issue. But, you know, right. pre-diagnosis, this is so fascinating. And, and 
you know, personally, I have uh, friends that are are going through this premenopause issue, and and so it's just kind of like wild, like it's not an uncommon thing, right? I guess is right. my point here in mentioning that um, that yeah. you know it's a pretty common thing for women, you know, when they turn a certain age to have their yeah. hormones start to react in a certain way. Yeah. So to tie that to pancreatic cancer, though, is is really uncommon, right? Yeah, and my doctors told me. When I went in and started meeting with my oncologist and my surgeon, um, when I started telling them things that were going on, they're like, yeah, these are all symptoms of pancreatic cancer. And I said, yeah, but isn't it also easy to relate them to to menopause or mm. to the celiac or to IBS or, you know, there are so many ways that you can blow off these symptoms because they weren't all day. Correct. They weren't, it wasn't like I, I had these cold flashes and they lasted for 24 hours. It was, you know, everything was, was situational, I felt. So it yeah. just made it very, I would have never, ever gone to the doctor for these symptoms. If I hadn't had that CAT scan, that follow-up CAT scan that was two years past due, if I hadn't had that, I would, I would not be sitting here today knowing that I had pancreatic cancer. I, there's no way I would. And then, and then what? I wouldn't have stage one cancer either. Yeah. Um, it was really just a, a fortunate fluke that we found it so early. And um, I wish that more people could find it that early. Um, you know, it, it be, it's just so undetectable. It, there's got to be a way that we can figure this out. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of groups working on stuff. And I, I think that's the the frustration from families to advocacy groups, to scientists, researchers, doctors, clinicians, you know, is that we don't have early detection, but there's a lot happening. Uh, we just need it sooner than later. And, and statistically, we know you look at any cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, if you have early detection, and, and just from a biological standpoint, and with this disease, you know, we know that if you get someone at stage one, they're resectable. They yeah. have, you know, their their chances of survival and living a a productive life and a and their quality of life go up exponentially compared to someone at stage four or stage three for that matter and stage two. So that's where we, we really have to push. And, you know, and that's where I go back to, I know we mentioned this before we hit record, but this is hopefully what this podcast has done is, you know, hopefully raised and amplified the awareness and the need for early detection, you know, by sharing these stories on how people are getting diagnosed and how their signs and symptoms are. Like I said, we've never had a had a survivor come on and say that you know their their signs and symptoms were premenopausal symptoms. So now you know maybe the the next person um, you know listening to this that's a female that has that you know at least Absolutely. they go to the doctor and and bring that up. Yeah. You know, and and just check the box, right? Like let's yep. check off that box. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not trying to badmouth doctors here, but. You know the system is what it is. You don't know. You don't know, um, and so the the system is broken. We we are not in a perfect system. The medical system is not great for a lot of people. You have to, you know, as you said, you know, really self advocate for yourself. And 100%. they don't they don't give you anything that they don't want to, or that you don't ask for. Let's put it that way. And yep. there's a lot that you could ask for. And again, I hope this podcast 
gives that uh, the public the opportunity to yeah. know what to ask for, right? But so that's yeah. really where, you know, I hope we continue to to share stories like yours of people that have these kind of I I won't call them well they're like nuanced symptoms because like I have yeah. never we've never heard of that I've never heard of the premenopausal kind of being connected to that and maybe there's someone maybe they're not having premenopausal but they're having a right. cold flash right yeah Those and that's cold something flashes, let me tell you they they're not they're no more fun than a hot flash <laughs> I mean and. It, apparently, it is a symptom. Cold flashes are a symptom of pancreatic cancer. Who, do, who would have thought? I would have never known that. Yeah. You it's know, crazy. I crazy. Would have never know. So, um, it, it, in the inability to control your bowels, um, who would have thought that that was more than just like, I don't know, IBS maybe IBS or, or something, or Crohn's right. or colitis, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I know people with Absolutely. Crohn's and colitis, uh, yep. you know, have issues with that too. So yep. again, checking off that box uh, with your GP or your physician that you're going, to, if you have these signs and symptoms is, is really critical. You have to advocate for yourself in today's society with our medical insurance and this medical system, the way it is, like you said, it's, it's definitely broken. If I did not advocate so much for myself, if I didn't have the good health insurance that I have, there are people that don't have the same kind. There are people with HMOs. If I yeah. had checked off the HMO versus the PPO, I mean, my journey would have been a lot more stretched out a lot longer. I, I was really able to advocate quickly for myself. Uh, not everybody is that fortunate. So they, you really, really, really have to stand up for yourself no matter what, and just push and push and push and push and push. And that's through everything. I ended up, I, after my surgery and after I went home, um, luckily one of Megan's uh, friends is a, a trauma uh, ER nurse. And she came over and um, it was about seven days after I came home. And she's like, Sandy, you don't look good. You look bad. And I said, yeah, I feel bad. My, my pouch, you know, cause I had a pouch mm -hmm. from my surgery and I had to drain it and clean it and home health care came. And, um, she's like, yeah, the color isn't right. And she made me take a picture. I got in touch with my nurse practitioner, uh, down in Miami. And, um, she said, you need to pack a bag and come now. Uh, it took three days in the hospital of me strongly advocating for myself. My surgeon was out of town. Um, they said 100.1 was not a fever. I run low grade fever. I knew I had a fever. Um, it took three days. And I finally on Sunday allowed myself to go five hours without medication. That means no pain meds, no Tylenol, no Advil. I went five hours and I told the nurse, will you please take my temperature now? It was, it was over 102. And all of a sudden, everybody started freaking out because there was something wrong with me that I had been fighting three days telling them. Turns out I had a balloon of infection wrapped around the connector between the spleen and the pancreas. I had three different infections in there. I was septic. Oh. And if I had not advocated for myself, I would not be here today. You have to, you have to know your body and you have to advocate. Uh, they were able to go in and do a second surgery and remove it. And I was able to begin my recovery after that. But every step of this journey has been alone because COVID 
and advocating, advocating, advocating for myself. My dear friend in Spain, her name is Janine, and she had messaged me at that second point in the hospital. And she said that her ex-husband was in Miami and she would send him to the hospital. He's the surgeon to, to help me if I needed help. And that actually gave me the push I needed. And I said, if she can message me from Spain and tell me she can, I can do this. I can, I can suck it up and I can do this. And, um, you know, you just, it, it, it wasn't easy. It what recovery wasn't easy. Yeah. I might've been diagnosed at stage one, but let me tell you something that recovery from pancreatic surgery is no walk in the park. I mean, I couldn't even walk to my mailbox. Um, it, it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my entire life. Um, I, I medications, drugs, they barely give you anything. Um, I had a connection. I got some marijuana gummies and that allowed me to sleep mm. um, because I couldn't sleep. I couldn't walk. I couldn't, the pain was just excruciating. Um, this was post-surgery pain post though that you're surgery, surgical. Correct. Yeah. Post-surgery was hell. So let me jump in here for a second. So you have the surgery when you get back and then the complications occur. So do you think though, again, hindsight being 2020, do you think those complications caused the pain that you were experiencing during that time because of, you know, this infection and everything kind of festering or, you know, this balloon that was occurring during that time frame? No, that was, that was just infection leaking into my body, yeah. causing me to become septic. Um, I was not able to heal as quickly that first week because of the infection. Yep. Um, but so it, it maybe slowed my recovery down by a week. Gotcha. But the, the recovery from the surgery, I still have, um, you know, slight pain in the area where my surgery occurred um, because they have to move. Your pancreas is really tucked in there. Yep. It's, it's in between the lungs and the stomach and, and everything, the gallbladders in there, uh, the kidneys, the, everything is just crammed into that space. So they have to move everything just to get to it. And um, the recovery from that, um, <laughs> the only thing that recovered very well were my kidneys. Um, apparently my kidneys are rock stars. I drink a ton of water every day. So I, even when I saw my oncologist a few weeks ago, she's like, man, your kidneys are just killing it. Um, <laughs> I, I, had, I had liver complications from the surgery, um, oh, wow. because your pancreas and your liver are, are very closely connected. Yep. I ended up having to get iron infusions in December because my kidneys were not uh, my liver was not producing uh, oxygen and red blood cells and all of that it ties in together um, and all because of the pancreatic surgery. So when, when you think about, you know, oh, you had pancreatic surgery, um, there are so many things that the pancreas affects and impacts like, like the liver mm -hmm. uh, that you don't take into account. I, uh, my, my, blood counts, my, my blood counts were way off, super off. I became anemic from the surgery. Um, I did not become diabetic, but that is actually also a very common side effect of mm -hmm. pancreatic surgery. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I have always been hypoglycemic. So it, it kind of balanced it a little bit, kind of, kind of balanced that out, which my surgeon was very happy about, um, brought that up a little. Um, so yeah, there, there are so many things that are impacted that you don't even realize. And I think that was one of the biggest surprises to me after my surgery. And so you have the surgery, you get through that complication, chemo, any other type of uh, treatment protocol, anything? No, he's, they, they told me that none of that would work with me. Yeah. Um, the only thing was to get the margins so that they could get all the cancer. So he scooped out that, that tumor. <laughs> and now moving forward, and I know with like neuroendocrine tumors, um, act differently than an adenocarcinoma, right? right. Um, both as lethal. Um, but so now what's the protocol kind of moving forward? Now you, you, you move forward, but I know sometimes, you know, there's neuroendocrine tumors sometimes can be pesky. They can show up in other places. Biggest concern is that it would show back up in the liver. That's where they normally would recur. Yep. Um, so I went in for my six month uh, CAT scan in March. And I went in for my one year CAT scan four May. weeks ago. Yep. Oh, okay. And I met with my surgeon two weeks ago. And there's no sign of cancer anywhere. Um, he said, I don't have to have another CAT scan for a year. Um, obviously, you have to watch it the first couple of years because, mm -hmm. like you said, it is pesky. Um, but he said, my chances of it recurring because there's nothing there after a year are very slim. So it was a very, very, very good visit. It's um, awesome. I don't take any of this lightly. I do not take it lightly. And I want to be used in whatever capacity I can to help whoever I can. Um, even though it's not it wasn't pancreatic cancer. One of my best friends died August 12th from uh, liver cancer. Mm. She was diagnosed in June. Um, I was her healthcare surrogate. Um, I care, her son is in the Air Force. Uh, he was stationed in Alaska. He made it home right after she passed. Uh, it was a journey that I wasn't expecting this summer. It was, um, she asked me a lot about my journey with cancer through this. We talked a lot about it. Um, everybody's journey in any cancers is different. It doesn't matter what type of cancer we have. Um, everybody's story is different. And I want to be used in whatever capacity I can to help whomever I can. Um, and especially losing her it made me realize how important it is to continue to advocate for other people as well. So if I can help one person get through this, um, I, it would be worth it. Well, I, I, I think, it, you know, we'll never know, right? Like sometimes the impact that we have and uh, I want to, you know, I said this before, you know, thank you for, coming on the podcast and sharing your journey, because if one person hears your story and, and, you know, 
cold flashes, hot flashes, the premenopausal, they're checking the box, right? And and potentially we might be, you know, giving someone that opportunity just like you at an early stage that they wouldn't have known it had they not listened to the podcast or maybe a loved one of theirs listened to the podcast or a friend, a best friend of theirs listened to the podcast and has someone going through that similar scenario right now. Um, you know, it's making a difference. I got a couple questions here left for you. I know you mentioned faith and family, and and, and I just want to talk about what that has been for you. I know you've mentioned your kids a lot. You've mentioned your husband a lot. Um, I, I know we've talked a lot over the last two years about that experience. About you know, this is like crazy. Like you're 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 getting dropped off at the door, and you walk in alone. You're supposed to, you know, battle this thing that could take your life all by yourself. Um, you know, we've had people that have passed, you know, all by themselves and their family members have, you know, FaceTimed in, you know, which is so like crazy. This is like, you couldn't make this stuff up, right? But you've mentioned, you know, your family and your faith. What was it like during this time? you know, going through that, you know, um, knowing that, that you had your faith and family. So it's still very, very raw. <laughs> um, especially being here with my daughter, this is our celebratory trip. Um, she promised me this trip last year before my surgery, when I was up to it and I was not up to it last year. So here we are um enjoying our time together here um knowing that I had and I use my daughter the most because our my husband and I've been married 31 years we only have two kids and they're 13 years apart <laughs> and that was not by design yeah oh my god it's right. she started college when he started kindergarten oh wow um, yeah it's it's been a journey um and they're both very different and She's, I have her, he's 16 now, she's 29, but she's always been in the medical field. Medical's always been her passion. So she has really always been the medical rock. So through this, she's like her mom. She's very, you know, let's go do it, face it, get through it. And she's researching and, you know, calling her nursing friends and whatever. Um, Knowing that I had her, but also as a mom, you don't want to put that kind of pressure on your kids. So I was kind of stuck in a dichotomy. It's easy to rely on her because we're so close, but in the same respect, I have to be mom. Mm. And one day I was having a very open conversation with my son before my surgery. And she was with Megan was with me. And he said, well, it's not like you're going to die. Right. (laughs) So he was 15 typical response of a 15 year old really I mean they get it but at the same time they don't really get it um of course that Megan was like what are you talking about you know like she got really defensive and well mom I'm like it's fine you know he has to deal with this how he has to deal with it so being mom to two different generations ages um dealing with my own stuff and dealing with them, it was, it was not easy. Uh, but again, my faith, I prayed day in, day out all the time. Um, 
when I walked into the hospital, I was praying. When I went through my PET scan, my PET scan was 45 minutes long. Hmm. I'm claustrophobic. Um, I don't take, I'm not a big advocate for uh, prescription drugs. So I've never taken Xanax or anything like that. Not that I'm against it. It's just not my thing. So I said, well, I'm going to have to pray my way through it. And I'm not exaggerating. When I prayed my way through my PET scan, I fell asleep in my PET scan. Um, I would wake up. My heart would start racing. I'd start praying. I'd go right back to sleep. Um, when I woke up in the hospital after my surgery, I they had given me morphine. And morphine makes me hallucinate. And I hallucinated that my son was in the room with me. And I, I knew that wasn't possible. So, of course, I was like, no more morphine. Figure it out. Something else. Um, I fell in love with Dilaudid. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that stuff is freaking awesome. Uh, takes that pain right away. It was the best. Uh, I had a nurse give it to me and say if he could take that at home, he would. I was like, really? <laughs> I am 100% big advocate of Dilaudid. Um, so, it, it just, it was it was tough. It was tough. I had to push myself. You know, when you're in the hospital and you're alone, you know, when you're with your family, when you have family members come in and they're like, mom's not comfortable or mom has a fever or mom needs food or mom needs medicine. When you're by yourself, you don't have that. You don't realize how important that advocacy is. And I would have to say that that was, that was one of the biggest things for me, realizing that I had there was nobody to help me get out of bed unless I called a nurse and I'm stubborn as hell. So when they told me there's your walker, I was like, walker, I'm not using a walker. It might take me a half an hour to walk down the hall, but I'm not mm. using a walker. I didn't use a walker. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> um, it took forever, but I did not use a walker. So um, sorry, I'm positioning my cameraman. No, here. that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, realizing that the only person that was going to get me out of bed was me. The only person that was going to get me out of the hospital was me. And the only way I was going to see my family was if I got out of bed and I walked the walk and I got it done to get out. And so that was, I set goals for myself, stupid goals in the hospital. Okay, I'm going to go walk down this, this hall three times in the next hour. Then I'm going to walk down the second hall. And then, you know, and you just, and then when I went home, Again, still, my daughter works, my son had school, my husband worked, and I'm like, well, here we go. My mailbox is probably, I don't know, 100 feet from my front door, maybe. Hmm. I would stop and take pictures. I have a pond in my front yard. I would stop and take pictures of the the flowers, the birds, the turtle, the lizards. (laughs) I wish I could say I was exaggerating. The first walk to the mailbox the first day was like, holy shit. Like, I'm, I'm in my nightgown. Don't care if the neighbors come out. Like, I've got a pouch on me. You know, can barely walk, but I'm going to get it done. Probably took me a half an hour to walk to my mailbox and back. But I did it. And then I set goals every day. I was going to force myself twice. One day, Megan came and it was raining. And then she's like, where are you going? I'm like, I have my third walk to do. And she's like, well, she grabbed an umbrella and she joined me, you know, and eventually I was able to make it out of my nightgown and into, into clothes. And I mean, honest to God, it's the little things through every step of the journey. It's the little things. It's, it's the next step. It's the, you know, the taking the shower 
I mean, everything. It's sleeping from the recliner to going and sleeping in a bed. I couldn't even sleep in my own bed because my mattress was too high and too firm. I had to sleep in my daughter's bed and she had moved in with her fiance. So I slept in her bed for three months because I couldn't sleep in my own. You know, so there's so many different aspects of not just the finding out, not just the process of getting rid of the cancer, but the recovery from it. You know, it, it's, there were so many facets that I never, ever thought about. Well, I think cancer as a whole, I think we get so focused on the cancer itself, right? And then it's like, all right, you fight the cancer. And then what about the after, right? right? And, and especially, and especially, I, I mean, in this space, pancreatic cancer, we know that the survival rates is what it is. You know, it, it is low. It's 11%, you know, five-year survival. So what about those 11%? You know, like what, you know, and, and there's so many complications, right? From diet and from, you know, to your point, like you have this big surgery, like it's not like you go back to like riding a bike the next day. No, uh, okay, it takes. No. It takes a long, long time. And so I think that's kind of like the unforgotten thing, um, you know, and that's that's all cancers. That's the cancer journey, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think people though, you know, I don't know if it's a cultural thing here or maybe it's worldwide where we are so fixated on the cancer itself, but we often forget about the long journey beyond that. Yes. You know, as a survivor and the struggle that that is, um, and, and focusing on that. So I, I got my next question ties right into this is, could you share for our audience? And, and I know that this is a loaded question. I've got two loaded questions for you left. This is one of them. And I've got an easy one in between. Well, it might not be that easy, but what strategies Maybe there's like there's I'm sure there's many, but maybe there's like a top three or top top strategy that you used that you could share with someone. Maybe someone's gone through it, right? They're they're where you were back in 2021. And are there strategies that you use to get you through that to get you where you are today? My big thing is travel. I don't like to stay still. Um, so I started focusing on the next trip. What was my next journey going to be like? And was I going to be able to do it? Um, a couple weeks after my surgery, I have last year, my husband and I bought a camper van for my mm-hmm. trip to Alaska. Um, and it's at 2002, but she's amazing. I love her. Uh, has everything I need, only 20 foot long. I took her for a night in the Everglades alone. Um, To some, that sounds crazy. But to me, that was really not a big deal. (laughs) I went down to Everglades National Park just a night by myself. uh, Just to kind of regroup after everything I'd been through. Even though I had been alone so much, I just needed some open space. Uh, You know, when you spend a week in the hospital, you're looking at the walls. You're looking at the parking lot out the windows. Um, I went down there didn't realize how much is involved in actually driving. By the time I came home, I could barely function. My pain level was off the chart. Apparently all those muscles on that side where your pancreas is, you know, use them when you're turning the steering wheel and stuff. You don't think about that. It really is the little things that you don't even realize. So after I got through that, I realized that I needed to start setting small goals. 
And, and for me, it's, it's travel. What can I, well, also I had to get back to work. So I had a three month deadline. I had to be able to function at work. Um, I took 12 weeks FMLA and then I went back part time and that, that was kicking my butt. And then in January 1st, I was like, I'm all in, even though I wasn't physically ready to be all in. And that was October, four months post-surgery. And I was not at a hundred percent at all. But I went back to work because I knew that the only way that I was going to get there was just keep pushing myself. So my goal was full-time January 1st. I did it. I'm like, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to do it. I would literally go to work, come home and go to sleep. I mean, I was not functional. It kicked my ass. Um, And then I had a trip planned this year with my son. He had always wanted to do Route 66, Chicago to L.A., his dream trip for six years, he planned it. So my goal was that not only would I get my 15-year-old comfortable to do all this driving in a year uh, <laughs> by his 16th birthday, but that mom would be able to function and do this trip. Yeah. So, you know, Megan and I did a trip last November to Key West. Um, you would think not a big deal, right? Uh, two and a half months, almost three months post-surgery. Uh, we went down there, uh, we walked, we would just go walk from building to building, you know, kind of take it slow. She was very patient. And at Mallory Square, I had a complete mental, emotional breakdown, sat down on a wall of a building, hysterically sobbing in massive amounts of pain. I could not walk. I could not think. All I wanted to do was go lay down. Mm-hmm. And she's like, mom, you've done great. Like it's been four or five hours. You've defeated a rock star. I'm like, I was done. Um, so just realizing my own limitations, but also pushing through them, you know, you have to know when to stop because you don't want to, uh, or injure yourself or hurt yourself or, mm-hmm. you know, that was a hard one for me, learning when to stop knowing my own limitations, um, but also pushing through, not letting them hold me back. I know so many people that have allowed their personal, their, that, that have stopped because and not been able to push through. And I really try to advocate for people to push through it, to, to go a little bit further, a little bit further. And, you you know, finding that within myself was, um, I, I learned a lot about myself through this whole experience, through this entire journey. I learned that I'm tougher than I thought I was. And I thought I was pretty tough. I always kind of had, I'm a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. Um, I always kind of had, and I got that as an adult um, after my son was born. Um, I just always kind of saw myself as a badass. And, um, you know, I kind of realized that (laughs) Um, I have to know when to stop, but also, you know, to push past that. So fast forward a year and um, I have done that trip on Route 66 with my son and very well. I was very successful at it. I'm working full time and I'm very successful at it. Um, I do get tired a little more than I did, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, probably two years ago. Um, I know when I need to just stop and lay down. Um, but I also know when I need to get up and push past it and push through it. So the small goals, that that's my thing. Set goals for yourself. And, I love it. Um, whatever those goals are, a marathon, a half marathon, whatever it is, 
gotta... Yeah, we, we do a lot of running, but we don't, we don't, I mean, hey, I, I think, to, you know, to sum your point up, I, I think that's awesome because I think, you know, far, far too often we forget to focus on that, right? Like we just go, right? And, but having goals and, and setting those goals and achieving those goals is so powerful, powerful emotionally, physically, mentally, right? And and having that and having something to look forward to and, and just hearing you talk about, you know, going on those trips reminds me, and this comes to my mind is, like you didn't let cancer define you. Like you were like, hey, screw that. Like even that first time you were like, hey, uh, I got this trip. I'm going to Alaska. Like, I don't really care about this cancer thing, but uh, yeah, can we postpone this surgery? And like people probably listening to this probably go, that's like crazy. That's like cray cray, right? Like you get this cancer diagnosis, but like, you're like, hey man, I'm going to Alaska. Like you you didn't let it define you. And, And I think- I can speak, I will, you know, I said this podcast is not about us and it's not, it's about your journey, but I can tell you from the audience listening, watching, and for you there, Sandy, I've done, I don't know, this is like, we're in the 200s. I don't really keep track. I'm not about the numbers. I'm about, you know, the the journeys. And I will tell you, there's something very powerful about that mindset because the minute Again, speaking from experience, from the people that I've interviewed over the last four plus years, the minute you let cancer in to that space where they define you, I'm not saying you lost, but it's so powerful to just like give it the Heisman or just say, hey, you're over here. I don't really give a crap about you. Um, I'm going to live my life. No, you're not going to define me. And that is just so, so powerful. And I know that's easy for me to say, I've never had cancer. I've never battled it. I've seen it firsthand with both my mom and my dad, my mom twice, my dad, you know, through pancreatic cancer. It it did take my dad, but I don't think it ever defined him even when he was battling. Like he never really defined him who he was. Like, yeah, it may have, it may have taken him from this earth, but it never defined my dad, you know? And, and so that, you know, and that probably was why he lived as long as he lived, quite honestly, right. you know? Yeah. So that's where I, I just think, you know, from, from my perspective as a, as a person who's talked to so many people over the last four, four plus years, almost five years on this podcast that have gone through it, it's just so powerful to hear when people say that, like, hey, like, whatever, I got cancer, but, you know, uh, I'm going to Alaska. Like, screw you, cancer. So like you got you got to wait like get get in line like I'm going to Alaska. It's true. But I also so I have I have a relative who is a cancer survivor. But nobody knows that. Like she doesn't she doesn't it's not part of her story or her testimony mm-hmm. she doesn't talk about it. And I don't feel that talking about it gives it power over me, but I think talking about it and sharing my journey can help other people. And Absolutely. so you're right. I absolutely, it does not define who I am. It defines a small period of my life where I had to like make it a priority to, to do it, but it does not define who I am, but I will share it with anybody because I want to be an example of screw you. This is not going to define me. I am going to live my life on my terms. And that is, that is where I was. And that is where I, that's where I've been. 
very few times did anybody have to tell me, okay, one time I had a complete before my surgery. Um, I was driving and I had, I guess it was a panic attack. It all hit me. I was alone. And it kind of hit me like, oh shit. Like I have, I have pancreatic cancer. I have all this stuff. I'm, And I called a friend who lived nearby and her son had, um, we went through this huge, long 15 year uh, brain cancer journey with him. He is thriving. He is 29, but it's been hell. And I called her. And I went to her house. She had to practically carry me in her front door. And um, I was hysterical. And I felt bad going to her because, you know, I mean, God, brain cancer in your 15-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And she, she's like, no, she gave me the, the, the grace and the freedom to just let it out and just be in that moment with her for an hour, however long I was there. And, you know, so, so yeah, it's not like I didn't, I mean, yeah, I did say screw you can't, I'm going to Alaska. (laughs) um, But in the same respect, I did also have moments of reality where I realized the, 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 the weight of that, you know, the weight of, of having that. And, but I did not let that define my day to day at all. And, and it did not. Um, so yeah, I, I had a couple moments throughout the course of, of last year. And even now, sometimes I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe I did that. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my doctors think I'm crazy. Uh, my oncologist hugs me every time I see her. I absolutely love her. She's one of my favorite people. Um, but I do think they think I'm a little crazy. Um, but we're yeah, all a, we're all a little crazy, Sandy. I love that. And, and I just, that. I, I think it. we're all a little crazy. And I think the power of that is recognizing that You're people who that don't recognize that are the ones that are the problem, right? right. Uh, that don't recognize that crazy. Yeah. My last question here for you, and then we are going to share with our audience where they can follow your journey and connect with you if they'd like to reach out to you. But this is also a loaded question. There's no right or wrong to this. Given your experience, what you've gone through, what you've shared with us over the last hour here, how do you define the term pancreatic cancer? What's your definition? Um, hmm. For me and my life, um, I see it as something that I had to go through as a stepping stone, as a really hard part of my journey that was to build my character and to make me stronger and really helped focus my energy and my self on the the things that mattered the most. Not that I've ever really lost sight of what mattered, but sometimes you get caught up and it really just hyper-focused me on the important people and the important things in my life. And my friend Wayne, who had uh, prostate cancer, he told me, he said, this is going to change you. He said, you've always lived your life by just grabbing life. He said, but this is going to change you. That's, this is going to intensify that. In you." And it really has. Um, it, you hear that cliche, you only have one life to live, whatever. Um, but it just made me want to 
do more of what makes me happy. If it doesn't make my heart smile, it's not worth it. Um, if it doesn't give me positive energy or, or increase my, my life value, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not accepting any drama. I'm not accepting any nonsense in my life anymore. Um, so I just became hyper-focused and hyper-aware. That's what pancreatic cancer did for me. It really helped bring life into focus. And I'm grateful for the journey. Um, I'm obviously grateful for how it has come out over the past year. I know that I'm one of the fortunate ones, but I'm going to use that. And I love being used um, by God and in whatever capacity I can be. So that that's what pancreatic cancer is for me. Powerful stuff. If our audience listening at home would love to reach out to you, follow your journey. Uh, I know you do uh, have a website where I caught on, where you talk about and your Instagram about your travels. I do have a question though for you that I'm going to throw in a bonus question here. <laughs> you said you've been to 49 States. Yes. What is, and you live in Florida, so we're going to discard Florida. What is your, what has been, which state has been your favorite? Alaska. I actually just two days ago purchased tickets for my son and I to go back at the end of December. <laughs> I love it. You got to go when there's snow. You went, you we went. Are, yes. Yeah. Yes. 10 days. Arctic circle is on our agenda. Awesome. Aurora, we're going to chase Aurora. So yeah. I love it. Yep. I love it. Yep. I love it. I love to see but, people thrive and live. But this, this is my favorite city. I'm not New in Orleans. the city. I'm at the river, but I'm in New Orleans. Wow. And this is my one year celebratory trip. So Wow. Pretty special that we got you on the podcast on your anniversary. Um, where's the best place for our audience to connect with you? The website, social media, email, whatever you'd like to give. Uh, why don't we give our audience that information? Anything. Crazyladyadventures.com. It started as my travels. I turned my cancer journey into one of my adventures. Um, so I wrote a lot about that. Um, uh, I don't know what my Instagram is. Well, I know you can. So if we go to the website, you can get to all your social media because you yeah. have it pinned there. So crazyladyadventures.com. Yep. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. You can email me at kickinmom18 at gmail.com. There's no G in the kicking. Uh, <laughs> I got that when I was in Taekwondo. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I love people. So. Well, Sandy, thank you for allowing us to share your journey with pancreatic cancer. Thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast. Dino, thank you so much for having me. Anything I can do for anybody, I'm here. I love it. Thank you for listening and watching another episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you like what you hear or what you see, Feel free to share this episode. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on our YouTube channel. And until next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast.